But grace, peace, and mercy be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amidst all the busyness and the hectic way that uh, uh, Christmas creates for our life, it is good when we take time to simply reflect, to look back, and to say, what is next? And many of you, I don't know if you tried to keep a, a New Year's tradition of looking forward to the next year, of writing things out. I saw one list, uh, kind of a joke online this week, that, that had uh, everything from uh, lose 25 pounds marked out uh, in 2011, and then next to it, 2012, which was lose 20, and then in 2013, lose 15, and then 2014, it was lose 10, and uh, so on. And so you see the idea is that we have these lofty goals starting out, and all of a sudden people go, you know what, I, I don't think I can put that as my end goal, losing weight, or getting in shape, or joining the club, or doing things differently. But I do think it is a good time of the year for us to reflect. A good time for us to say, okay, God, what do you have in store for this next year? And we do have a tendency to look back and evaluate. Not only do the news organizations do it, but in sports and all these other places. Everything around us seems to say, look, take a look back and see what is coming up. And ask yourself, is what I did last year worth my time? The amount of energy that I spent on other people's problems and issues really worth it to me? Did I utilize God's resources to bring about the kingdom of God in the lives of the people around me? Do I acknowledge that God alone is the authority in my life? Well, those topics that I just brought up, I, I personally think, are some of the most important ones. You may think that there are other ones, but we're going to spend the next four weeks on those topics. Today, looking at what does it mean to fully acknowledge God's authority in my life. If you're like me in any way, the second I begin to pray, to spend any time uh, over God's Word, the second I begin to say, God... What is it that you have for me today? He blows everything up in my life. He does, right? You've heard, don't pray for patience because all of a sudden you'll be taxed with all kinds of activities or things that are going on that are going to try your patience. Well, I have. I've asked God, what does it mean to fully submit to your will? What does it look like, God, if God's people say, you know what, to you and you alone, God, I'm not going to come up with my own direction. I'm not going to go my own way. I'm not going to do my own thing. I, I want to focus on your word, reading through it and say, God, what do you have in store? You are the almighty authority. You, God. And so the reading this morning was from Deuteronomy chapter 5. And you may think it a bit strange in this season of Christmas. This, don't we just have Jesus as a little babe, as somebody just newly born? Why is it that we are talking about the authority of God? Well, I want you to think about it for a second. When Jesus was born, raised, there were no doubt many things, right? When he's 12, they go to the temple. He begins to teach. And what are the people amazed at? That he spoke with such authority. A 12-year-old 
Some of you have 12-year-olds. Some of you remember being 12. I know you thought then you knew it all, but Jesus actually did. Right? He's known for authority. Early on in Mark, I think around Mark chapter 5, we have the disciples in the boat and the storm comes up. They wake Jesus up. Don't you care that we're about to drown, they say? And he says, oh, you of little faith, be calm. And immediately, even creation is subject to his mighty hand. And the disciples say, who is this that even the winds and the seas obey? Who is it? It's Jesus Christ. Later in Mark, we get a story of the disciples, those immediately, probably the twelve, following Jesus. And they are following Jesus. The scripture notes that they are amazed at what is happening. It means they are fully engaged. Yet, the group of 200 or so disciples that are following behind are terrified. caught me as I was reading through. I don't know that there's any true theological significance in that, but I do find it interesting that Mark would notice and point out that those that are closest to Jesus are amazed. Those that somewhat follow Jesus are afraid. I wonder if that's any picture for us, that the closer we get to Jesus, the more amazed we are. The more we see his hands, his own feet, his actions, the things that he does, we see his love, his mercy, his grace, and his forgiveness, and we just walk around with that joy of the Lord that says, I wonder what he's going to do next. Amazed. But those of us that, that hang back a few yards... A few steps, those of us not really all in. I wonder if we're afraid of what Jesus might do in our life. I wonder if that's what it is. It's that kind of fear that says, I don't know if I want him changing everything about me. I mean, if he can make my life better, my 401k better, if he can make my name better, maybe there's some relationships I want, but I don't want him to touch the dark, deep places of my life my addictions, my anger, my pride. I don't want him touching those areas. Those, those are my issues, and I'll work on those just fine. But if he could just pour out blessing upon blessing, and you know what? I think you do live in fear for a good reason. Because you know about Jesus. You know of him. You know a lot of Bible stories. You're probably even saved. I I mean, we'll just go ahead and go with that one. He's died for you. You know that. You know where you're going to be for eternity. But life stinks for you because you stay just far enough away so that you can't be changed. I want to read to you a couple paragraphs in the last of our book that we read during Advent Flesh by Hugh Halter. Peter came face to face with life lived in his own image and power versus life lived in the image and power of Jesus. 
Think about it. What, what Peter wanted to do was to move around in his life the way he wanted to do it, and yet what he has to come to grips with is, not by my own power do I live, but by the power of Jesus Christ. First decision Christians are like the multitude. They make a decision to follow Jesus for what he might do for them. This is in response to what I just shared about Mark, about the disciples who are afraid, hanging back, maybe 200 yards. They make a decision as to, well, we'll follow him as long as he feeds us. We'll follow him as long as he forgives us. We'll follow Jesus as long as he makes kind of a good impression to the people around me. They have belief in God, but they leave it at that level. Belief. They may be church attenders. They may love to emotionally sing songs or hymns to God. They may love to learn more about God through Bible studies, but they also tend to prefer to stay on the shore or in the shallows. That's first decision, Christians. Second decision, Christians, have made this same first decision. I believe, I want to follow, but they head to deeper water and make a decision a second decision to pattern their lives after Jesus. So they don't just believe Jesus, they actually put his words into action. He was the least judgmental person the world has ever known, so they work to be the exact same way. Jesus loved enemies, served those who took advantage of him, had friends that were outsiders and sinners. He helped remove religious barriers from the spiritually disoriented so that they would be able to do the same, walk with Jesus. You see, first decision Christians take the wide road. Second decision Christians choose the narrow. First decision humans play it safe. They avoid real world. They wait for God's kingdom to come back. Second decision apprentices take risks, become natives, and make God's kingdom tangible now. First decision, people flow to the currents of what the dominant culture dictates. But second decision, leaders intentionally create and hold one another accountable to the countercultural cadences of kingdom life. They hold one another accountable to the counter-cultural cadences of kingdom life. What is kingdom life? What does it look like? What does it sound like? What does it actually feel like, taste like, and smell like? Kingdom life is very real for Jesus as he goes into the homes of people that the religious wouldn't even look at. He shares a meal, so there's the smells. I don't know what you had Christmas Day for, for uh, lunch or for dinner. We had turkey. We had spiral ham. We had prime rib. We just kept the meats coming out of the oven. Okay, there were 16 of us plus two more. My aunt and uncle from Denver came over. They brought a little bit of wine. We had corn. We had green beans. We had sweet potato casserole. We had rolls coming out of every place in the kitchen. Okay, we had food, people, and we just ate all 
afternoon long. And I said, man, God has blessed, right? Then about four o'clock, you're like, well, it's about time for dessert, don't you think? And we had some candy that Santa, of course, put in the stockings. We did, we had some, some of that. And then we said, you know what? It's dinner time already. It's like five o'clock. We need to eat again. And we just, we, it was still sitting out on the table. We just went back for plates. When I'm telling that, I hope you had some smells come to your brain. Because I'll guarantee you with 18 people on the first floor of my house, there was no room to run off. There were no headphones in or on. The TV was off. The radio was off. 18 people living in the grace of God, eating, sharing, living, touching, hugs. There are pictures of brothers and sisters actually sitting next to each other, and they liked it. That's one picture. I think the kingdom of God living looks like that in fellowship around a table. I think kingdom living looks at when my sister announces to the family, I've got tests on Monday, that's why we're going back a little early. Pray for me. And the family gathers round and lays hands and prays. And it's selfish teenage nephews and nieces who without a word get up and clear tables, clean the kitchen, And on each side of their grandfather, walk him back and forth from the bathroom or to the kitchen or to wherever he needed to go. I think the kingdom of God looks like that. I think kingdom living is involved. I think it takes time, and it takes energy, and it takes effort. But this is the authority of God, right? God says, this is how I want you to live. We haven't even gotten to the Ten Commandments here yet, right? This is the background for what you heard before. The background being this. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I am a God who has acted in history. I am a God who has acted in your life. I have brought you to salvation, whether it was through parents that brought you to the holy waters of baptism, whether it was through a youth director or a coach, a best friend, a neighbor, a brother or sister. They introduced Jesus to you somehow, some way, and you responded. That's first decision. Second decision, though, is now, God, take my life, lead me, and show me how to live. 
And that's part of what the Ten Commandments do, especially these first four. Have no other gods before me, including yourself, which means you don't get to dictate your life, which means you don't get to pick the direction, which means you don't get to be in charge. If God says, I expect kingdom living on this earth, we don't get to say, ah, get to it in retirement when I've got more time. You get to do it now. You shall make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven and on earth, beneath it or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And I punish the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. But showing love to thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Kingdom living involves following God's commandments even when the world says, that's old-fashioned. Even when the world says, it's not practical. It's like we tell our young people, well, go ahead and date, and well, here's some protection in case, you know, you get tempted, rather than go, no, hold yourself out for marriage, wait until that great and glorious day, and you'll have God bless your sex life. And you're going, oh, I, I couldn't say that. I, I, we don't talk about that in our family. Well, you better start because that's kingdom living. Kingdom living says, we're going to talk about it. I don't care how red in the face they get. And I don't care what we did in our past because we can be forgiven and we can now start to move forward. That's kingdom living. Again, we're not trying to be fun haters. We're not saying God doesn't like that area of our lives. No, in fact, he likes it a lot. That's why he made it for us. But he says it goes in these boundaries. Would you ever give a kid a box of matches, some kindling, maybe a little gasoline? Wood. Would you say, do you like fire? Yes, I love fire. I, this is good. Well, son, go out and make a fire wherever you want. Would you ever tell a kid that? No, you would say, go to the hearth, go to the fireplace, go to a pit that is surrounded. They have boundaries. There's a screen to put over it. Don't do it in a high wind day. Look and see if it's a red flag day. Look around you. Are there things that else that could burn? Are there carpet or drapes? Then you don't do it in the house. You have a safe place for it. It's the same for our sex life. It's the same for our emotional life. It's the same for our finances. Yeah, you can spend your money anywhere you want. Should you? Kingdom living is about following God's example, His rules, and His laws. And if you say, okay, you're right, I get it. What are they? Open your Bibles and read. You don't have to read it all in one day. You start in a book of Proverbs or Psalms. Read one chapter. Read a, read a verse. I don't care. There is great wisdom. Great wisdom. Don't misuse the name of the Lord your God in vain. Honor your father and your mother. That it may go well with you.
respect the authority that is placed over you. Some of you still have parents that are living. Guess what? Just because they're older doesn't mean you get to disrespect them. You don't get to talk back to them. It was great this whole week having grandma, grandpa, aunts and uncles around. Could get on Cooper a little bit. Do you see me talking the way you're talking to me back to my dad? Well, no. Learn from it. Mimic it. Copy it. Bosses and their authority. Government authority. We may not like what's voted in. We may not like the way things are administered. There may even be injustice. There's still the authority placed over you by God. And so we don't get to name call. We get to pray for. We get to encourage. And we get to lift up. Our police officers and our firemen, we don't get to say, well, if there's a fire in my house, fine, I'll listen to you. Well, but i got to get home fast, and just don't pull me over. I know it's 40 miles an hour here, but I've gone 50 plenty of times, and I am a safe 50-mile-an-hour driver. The authority that is placed over us is by God's design. A lot of times we turn in Deuteronomy to chapter 5 for the Ten Commandments, but I want you to hear right before it. This is the law Moses set before the Israelites. These are the stipulations, decrees, and laws Moses gave them when they came out of Egypt. And Moses summoned all Israel and said, Hear, O Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. Jesus didn't come just so you'd feel better about yourself. He came because he was restoring Eden. He came to restore for us a way of living that brings about life. And he is the authority. He is the maker of the heavens and the earth. He is the one that took dirt and breathed his spirit into you. You have your being because God is. Now, if you would like to live the rest of your life all on your own, go for it. I don't think it's going to work out very well. Submitting to God's authority while initially rankling us and causing us to bristle brings about the greatest freedom ever given. And that is being able to live and breathe each and every day knowing that my God and my Savior, Jesus Christ, lives he actually lives. And his life means absolute life for you. My prayer is in this next year is that you would acquiesce, give up your own, and submit to the authority of the Almighty God. That you would submit time and energy, finances, your past your sin, that you would submit that to him and trust him who has authority over the winds and the waves, 
to him who has authority in all creation, to him who conquered death and the grave for you. Trust him. Amen.